We are privileged uh, to sit under the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the work of Paul. And uh, as I begin this series, as I think about, we're moving into First uh, Thess, uh, we'll move into chapter 4. But if you read First first uh, Thess chapter 3, this is a this is a passage that would be easily uh, thrown away. Uh, people just not look at it very carefully or deeply. But there's something here that I think the Holy Spirit wants to uh, preserve through the last 2,000 years for all Christians to know. And it was so interesting to me as I, as I got into this, I thought, okay, Lord, I'm not sure what to do with this. But through the time of study and prayer, as, as, uh, as it always happens, I, you just see God bring things to light. And so I'm just encouraged to share with you some of these things. And so um, sit back and enjoy listening to what God's Word says to you. But I want you to hear again with this same idea that I've said before. Listen to Paul as Paul is going to disciple you. As Paul knew some things about Christ, as he wants to teach you what he knows about Christ, you too take these words on a very personal way because this is what the Holy Spirit has given to you as a believer. This is your inheritance. Well, let me begin with this story. Uh, the, the, the question that I asked is why the Thessalonians loved Paul. And I want to begin with a story about how Paul caused me trouble in Japan. Uh, I was sitting on a tatami rice mat with Sandy, and we had started a Bible study in Galatians in a home Bible study group in a very, very small room. That, that tatami room was probably eight feet wide and maybe 10 feet deep, and there were eight adults sitting at a, right, at a table on the floor. And uh, uh, they were Christians, except there was a couple of uh, Asians there that had joined the group, and I didn't know these two. And we started right off of Galatians 1, as we're talking about uh, in Galatians, Paul was concerned about the Galatians forfeiting the faith and going back and being influenced by the Judaizers. And so as Paul's making an argument, and in, in, in Japan, uh, there is no grace, um, as we understand grace, and sin isn't understood like we understand sin. It isn't about guilt before God. It's about an uncleanness of spirit. And so their ideas and their thinking about God is, is from Shinto and Buddhism is crazy. So I thought Galatians would be a good place to talk about grace. As I got into the story uh, to talk about uh, Paul had given up on religion and trying to earn his way or being a people pleaser. I said it's about the grace of Christ in Paul, and Paul's here to talk about the grace. And as soon as I said that word, this Asian couple stood up and began to rebuke me and exhort me, says, this is not of God. You're not a biblical teacher. You gotta get out of here because we're not here to talk about Paul. We're here to talk about Jesus Christ only. And he was in a cult that was about Jesus only, and anything that wasn't about Jesus was considered unbiblical. They got up out of that room, created such a stir that we were left stunned, like we didn't know what was going on. Paul caused me trouble in Japan. 
And as I began to think about through the years, uh, Paul caused trouble for a lot of people. But for you and for me, when I mentioned the word Paul or St. Paul and think about your understanding about Paul, what comes into your mind when you think about the man, Paul? Well, he was kind of a Supreme Court justice intellectual type. He was the rabbi of rabbis. He, you know some of his background, but when you think about Paul and you think about your interests or your desire to learn from Paul, I don't know what kind of image you have of, of the Paul the Apostle, but there's lots of images that are thrown on the internet, and I'm gonna bring up some of them, but the idea that Paul is a, an authority figure, he's an apostle, he's mentioned 20 times that he is the apostle of Christ, and therefore you, you don't know how you deal with an apostle. I've never met an apostle. You don't invite an apostle to play tennis or golf or have coffee. What do you do with an apostle? So sometimes we put Paul on a pedestal, and so our images that we have of Paul from, from a, a missionary, a pastor, a, a prophet, a, 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 a scholar, a, a theologian, my favorite phrase for Paul, as I've come to adore what F.F. F. Bruce said about Paul, he is the apostle of the heart set free. I love that phrase. And so Paul has the knowledge about how Christ works in the human heart to set the human heart free from the dominion of sin that is choking the human heart, from that dark domain of the world that is blinding the human heart to see the gospel, but that that apostle of the heart set free knows what that is like to live on the other side of the cross without the law, but the grace of Christ has been introduced to us through the living Lord, resurrected and ascended. Now Paul, Paul is such a deep, rich man that you want to spend time with Paul. You know a little bit about his background. You know about his conversion story. We've gone through that in the book of Acts. You know the fact that Paul is an international man. He's an expat living in Jerusalem, now has been sent out to the pagan world. There's something unusual about this man who's called my servant, my bond slave. And so Paul is about the father's business. And you know that wherever you see him, but I've mentioned this before, like pastors are like the Maytag repairmen. Nobody talks to the pastor. Nobody talks to the missionary. I used to think that there are normal people, and then there are religious people, and then there are pastors. And then there are missionaries. And then there's Paul. He's way out there. But, but Paul, you know about some of the afflictions. You know some about his story. And so you either have this love-hate affair depending upon where people are coming from with Paul. Now I want you to know this, that Paul is one of the most controversial uh, people that you would ever want to uh, bring up in a polite conversation with unbelievers if they know about him, but because people have forgotten about Paul. But through the years, men like Soren Kierkegaard who's a theologian, he said this about Paul. Listen to these words. In the teachings of Christ, 
in the teachings of Christ, religion is in the present tense. Jesus is the prototype, and our task is to imitate Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus. And then through Paul came a basic alteration. Paul draws attention away from imitating Christ and fixes attention on the death of Christ, the atoner. What Martin Luther in his Reformation failed to realize that is even before Catholicism, that Christianity had become degenerate at the hands of Paul. Paul made Christianity the religion of Paul, not of Christ. Paul threw Christianity, the Christianity of Christ away, completely turning it upside down, making it just the opposite of the original proclamation of Christ. I thought, Whoa. he didn't like Paul. Just put it simple. Simply. Then there was Will Durant. Will Durant, that great historian who wrote the book, The Story of Civilization of 9,766 pages. I got these at Goodwill for $30. <clears throat> Will Durant said this of Paul. Paul created a theology which, of which none but the vaguest warrants can be found in the words of Christ. Through these interpretations, Paul could neglect the actual life and sayings of Jesus, which he had not directly known. Paul replaced conduct with creed as the test of virtue. It was a tragic change, according to Will Durant. James Baldwin, noted black author, most noted for his work in, in his book, The Fire Next Time, said this about Paul. The real architect of the Christian church was not the disreputable, sun-baked Hebrew, Jesus Christ, who gave it its name, but rather the mercilessly fanatical and self-righteous Paul. These are not unlearned men, <clears throat> but they are unspirited men. Martin Buber, <clears throat> Jewish, again, respected Jewish philosopher who is famous for the book, I, Thou, Personal Dialogue with Christ. You don't call God an it, the Holy Spirit an it. It's about a personal relationship. <clears throat> Martin Buther said, said this, the Jesus of the Sermon of the Mount is completely opposed to Paul. Unbelievable. Um, the famous poet, Khalil Gibran, and Jesus, the Son of Man, says this Paul is indeed a strange man. His soul is not the soul of a free man. He speaks not of Jesus, nor does he repeat his words. He would strike with his own hammer the, upon the anvil in the name of the one of whom he does not know. Unbelievable. You hear these words from Thomas Jefferson, Mahatma Gandhi, Carl Jung. It goes on and on and on. I close with this one. Albert Schweitzer, in his 1952 Nobel Peace Prize, uh, one of the, called one of the greatest Christians of, all of his time. He's a philosopher and a physician, a missionary, musician, in his book called The Quest for the Historical Jesus and the Mysticism of Paul, 
wrote, Paul did not desire to know Christ. Paul shows us with what complete indifference the earthly life of Jesus was regarded. What is the significance of our faith and for our religious life, the fact that the gospel of Paul is different from the gospel of Jesus? The attitude which Paul himself takes up towards the gospel of Jesus is that he does not repeat it in the words of Jesus. He does not even appeal to his authority. The fateful thing is that this Greek, the Catholic, and the Protestant theologians all contain the gospel of Paul in a form that does not continue with the gospel of Jesus, but it displaces it. Well, how does that make you feel? That the guy that we're here, I'm asking you to be a disciple of this man, a lot of people on earth say, you got it wrong. Paul, Paul got it wrong. If you follow Paul, you're missing Jesus. And so you may stand up in your tatami room mat and jump up and walk out the door. It's an amazing thing when you think about this man, this radical man named Paul, writes 13 books of our New Testament. And therefore, there's something about how God has preserved this word as opposed to these men's words that really don't have the same vision as Paul. So I'm going to introduce this chapter three, uh, this book of Thessalonians, a, a church that's a pagan church that Paul started in three weeks' time, didn't, was run out of town. A year later, he writes this letter and won't see them for five years when he goes back to Macedonia. And in this book, you find something really intriguing. You don't hear Paul talk about the cross. You don't hear Paul talk about the gospel. Don't hear Paul talk about uh, a lot of the doctrinal things about he does in Romans or Galatians or elsewhere. But in this book, you have a clear picture of the apostle of the heart set free. I don't think these men really studied or understood Paul. And therefore, I hope you don't either. But listen, as we go into this, <clears throat> uh, what Martin Luther said about Paul was what we find in Paul is the richest possible teaching about what a Christian should know. In Paul, you learn about grace. In Paul, you learn about the meaning of the law. You learn about the punishment, the, the judgment. The, you understand about uh, justice, the righteousness that's ours in Christ. That, that more than anything, what you see in Paul was God incarnate. And that was Paul's, this is God in the flesh. And so Paul really honed in on this person of Jesus and everybody else focused in on Paul. They misunderstood Paul because they misunderstood Jesus. But Martin Luther said it was this message of Paul that changed him like the gospel changed, Luther, changed uh, Paul into a man from religion into relationship. Charles Spurgeon said the same thing. I would rather be wrong with Paul than write with anybody else because Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what you find in this man, in this book, is a Christ-affirming belief. It's God in Christ doing a work in you. 
And Paul's favorite expression is to describe the salvation of believers, not in terms of good and evil, not in terms of humble or proud, but for Paul, when he looks at people, he sees one thing only. You have Christ or you don't have Christ. You are in Christ or you're out of Christ. And that was Paul's view. But when Paul will look at people, he will look at them through the eyes of Christ, through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of redemptive love. Because this God was in this man, Jesus Christ, pursuing the nations, bringing about hope that nobody else did. It was his favorite phrase. And the high calling Paul reveals is understanding that Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And in that, it should be obvious that God was not, God being in Christ did not make, did not make Jesus God any more than, than Jesus or the Holy Spirit indwelling in believers makes us gods or Christ's or Holy Spirit's. We are separate people, individually called by name to have fellowship with this one, Christ. And so this man, Paul, learning that God was in Christ incarnate. What I understand for Paul is Paul was Jesus incarnate. And you find in the man Paul what it means to be a man filled with Christ, living for Christ. And unlike what these men have said, but like what Tom Wright has caught in his biography of Paul, he offers a remarkable three-dimensional picture of Paul as a really deep, solid, complicated man. But you also see him as a tender man, a man that's changed to embrace the spirit of, the, the spirit of Christ in the form of an apostle. So the question I ask is, why did the Thessalonians love Paul when a lot of people didn't love Paul? Well, you see, what he said in these words, now Timothy has come to us from you and he brought us good news about your faith. Paul moved on and continued to be in affliction and stress. But everywhere Paul went, he carried the Thessalonians. He carried the Philippians. He carried the Colossians. He cared for his people that he had ministered to. He brought good news about your faith. And he, Timothy told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. And that you long to see us. Just as we long to see you. The Thessalonians were, they were a community of, of believers that loved Paul. Longed to see Paul. And they were a church. This church doesn't have a lot of the problems. They don't have a lot of the conflicts that, that Corinthians had or, or the Galatians had. And you don't find this, that it's not a heavily doctrinal book. But you see in this letter, uh, it's almost embarrassing that we're eavesdropping on a friendship that Paul says, I love you guys. And I long to see you guys. Well, but, but where does that fit in your doctrinal world? Well, it fits in the relational aspect that if you are a born-again Christian, there's something that the Spirit of God does in your heart to set you free, to be free as a believer, to be totally free to give yourself in love. 
just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress, in our persecution, we didn't pray for relief. We didn't pray for God to, you know, deliver. We were praying for you in the middle of pain and problems. Paul was encouraged because of their faith. Now, let me ask you this. Knowing somebody else's faith, does that encourage you or discourage you? Is it even on your radar? To think about the unbeliever has no faith is one thing. But to think about the believer has little faith, Paul really was interested in your faith. And therefore, moving from little faith to increasing your faith, he says, but now, notice that passage, for now we really live. We really live. Your, your faith makes me alive. Paul, what a, what a sentence. Can you say that sentence? that the condition of somebody else's heart affects your heart. It affected Paul. We couldn't take it any longer. We didn't know where you were in your faith. And therefore, Paul would initiate and ask questions about how you're doing in your spiritual life. Are you, are you responsive to Christ? Are you dull? Is Christ meaning nothing to you? Have you heard from Christ in the last six months? Is it alive for you, or is it just kind of a program they go through. Paul says, because of you, we thank God in return for the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. You are our joy. You are our crown, he told the Corinthians. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we might see you again. This is Paul changed. Not the rabbi, not the Pharisee. This was a man in love with his people. This was a pastor prophet. And he cared deeply. And so he would pray, I want to see you again. Why? They were, they were doing well. They were increasing in the faith. They were abounding in love. These people were steadfast. This was a healthy, growing church that loved their pastor. And a pastor who loved them. But even so, he says, I want to see you. Because he knew that they were fallen believers in a fallen world and weren't glorified yet. And therefore, there were needs all over the board. And he says, I want to be there face to face. Now, they didn't have Google. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have books that we did. So Paul said, the only way you're going to get this knowledge is to be in connection with me. I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus and Silas and all these guys, but boy, I want to see you. I hope you're doing well. So may God, our Father and himself and our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. What does that say to you? Paul is making plans to pursue people he cares about. We tend to take people for granted that we won't even go across the aisle sometimes to say hello. And therefore, we are sometimes afraid to be involved with people, not Paul. He would initiate with believers and unbelievers. No matter where Paul went, no matter who Paul met, Paul was Paul free to love another person. And that's the spirit that's for you as well. And so he says, may he strengthen, may the Lord uh, make your love increase and overflow. That's what Paul knew was an overflowing grace that just, it, could, it was the spirit coming right out of him. Wow. I want to know that guy. 
who knows that guy. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, I heard a pastor talk about this passage, and he went off on the issue of holiness. And he decided there's so many weird things with that word holiness that people have a hard time with it. But then he changed it and said, well, holiness really is loving well. Well, you should just start with loving well. That would have been a better expression of holiness. But Paul really was interested in your being free from anybody pointing a finger. You did not love me well. You didn't love me well. You missed me. You disappointed me. Paul said, I want you free from all of that. That the grace of God will sanctify your heart and set you free as he strengthens you. And as your love for each other and for everyone else, it wouldn't make a difference. Paul was free to love. And for that reason, as he goes on to the next chapter, as for other matters, and there are other matters that he's going to get into, in particular the issue of sexuality, because this was a big issue for the pagans. He'll get into that. We'll get into that later. But he says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you as to how you should live. Boy, how would that go over in America today? We can't even instruct people on vaccines or masks or politics. We, no, we're not teachable. But the only thing that made the, the Thessalonians open was they knew Paul had their best interest at heart. And therefore, I'm going to get back to give you more instruction as to how you should live, meaning how you should love Christ, and the Spirit, and understanding the gospel. You are to be set free, and we ask and urge you and the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord. Well, I hope this changes the way you think about Paul, because Paul was Jesus incarnate by the Holy Spirit. He was living his life, not as a Christian. He was living the Christian life. This is the true apostle. He had the true gospel. And everybody he touched, if you notice, going through the New Testament, when Paul met Timothy, he took him on as a, as a disciple and he developed him. And listen to what Paul said about Timothy in, in the Philippians. I have no one else who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. They're all seeking their own interests, but Timothy, he's seeking the interests of Christ. Now, where did Timothy get that? He got it from Paul. And likewise with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was longing for you all, and he came close to death to complete for your sake, what was deficient in your service. Where did, Paul, where did Epaphroditus get that? From Paul. From Silas. From, from you, go, you go through the, the book of Romans. You see people that were touched by this loving man, Paul, were touched by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, you as Jesus incarnate had the same power to influence and love and give people grace and hope like Paul did. And Paul learned it wasn't the leaders, it wasn't the ex executives in the rabbinical school that he's interested. These were Thessalonians. These were pagans. These were out, out in the boonies. And here, here 
Paul says, it doesn't make a difference. If God puts you in my path, I'm going to love you to death and love you to life. Paul was a heart set free. I love this. And therefore he said to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you were welcomed, the message, in the midst of the severe suffering. It wasn't the pain and the problems that they were interested in. It was the fact that they were in this God-man, Jesus, in union, baptized, raised from the dead with a new life. (sighs) Kierkegaard had it wrong. All those guys had it wrong. But for us, going back to summarize to get your understanding that Thessalonians is not a, about a doctrinal book. It's about a relationship of a pastor to this church who loved them and they loved him back. And that's what you find in this passage of chapter 3. You see here, as Chuck Swindoll brings out in his biography about Paul, he says, here's some four negative things about Paul. You want to criticize Paul? Okay, well, here's the four negative things. He's not deceptive. That's negative. He says, I'm not here to, we don't come with any flattering speech. We don't come by way of impurity. We're not going to manipulate you. What you see is what you get. He said, he said to the Galatians, a major thing for a leader, we're not people pleasers. This was a man whose heart was directed by God himself, through the Lord himself, by the Spirit giving him guidance to understand what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and through the New Testament, Paul explained in a community farther along the line. Jesus didn't explain what Paul explained, but Paul explained what Jesus explained, but both are together. There's just a different focus. There's no contention here. I don't see any difference between the two because what Paul talked about, Jesus talked about. Paul says, we didn't come for your money. We worked. We weren't greedy. We didn't take advantage of you. We weren't self-serving. Paul was simply a bond servant. And so as he would move to others for their blessing and benefit at his expense, he wasn't trying to get anything. He was a giver. But the positive things, Chuck Swindoll says, is you find Paul. You, you would want to be with Paul. You would sit down with Paul and he would take an interest in you. He would engage you in such a way that you would feel so warm and welcome and accepted. No matter what your issues were, Paul was winsome. Paul, you'd sit down, work with him at a tent and he would talk with you. He was accessible, but he was sensitive. And he had a fond affection. As he said to the Thessalonians, I I would care for you as a mother would, as a father would. You see a relational side to Paul that you don't see before Damascus Road. But there's an, an authenticity and a transparency. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. Let me tell you, I've messed up big time. Really big time. But you knew what manner of men we were among you. It was not the doctrine or the theology that convinced the Thessalonians. It was the very relationship that Paul had that says, that's the proof. That's the proof. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to believe it because you know who I am with you. 
Therefore, the Thessalonians were attracted to this man because he was so affirming, so assuring that, that his confidence wasn't in the flesh, but we know whom we have believed. And in that faith in Christ, we are assured that what Christ has taken from us, he will guard it and keep it until that day. Paul was a Christ-centered man all the way. And everywhere he went, he would talk about Christ. He was like... Like in the book, we talked about the gentle answer. This came up this morning. He talks about, with Jesus, you would belong before you would believe. He would accept you before he would uh, instruct you. In the book of Romans, that, that passage, imperatives and indicate, indicatives, I, I, that, that, that came across my desk three times last week. I thought, imperatives and indicatives. He indicates who you are. 12 chapters in Romans before he says, here's what you need to do. The instruction was about who you are in Christ and your union, your abiding, your fellowship with Christ, your calling, your, your, your position. Paul wanted your faith to be solid and anchored right there. So these positive things, sensitive to encourage with an agape love, you are more than welcome more than longed for, you are called by the same Lord who called me. This book is a love affair. And so you'll find that going on over and over, and Paul had won their hearts in order to build their faith. Get that message. Paul won their hearts to build their faith. And that's why he says, now I can instruct you, and you'd be open for that instruction. The same for people who don't know Christ, people who you know who don't believe in, like you, or may have negative issues of the scriptures or the church or whatever. It's through Jesus being incarnate in your relationships with that gentle answer that you accept the unacceptable by grace of Christ. Whew. This man has a lot to teach us. And certainly, certainly, as we understand what's coming up with regard to sexuality, we'll talk about that, with regard to death and dying, in the second coming of Christ, we'll talk about that. End times, we'll get into that a little bit, because that's what these guys were asking for. Well, did I change your perspective on Paul? This guy, this guy you want to get to know. Why the Thessalonians loved him is the same reason why I loved him. Paul knew the Lord, and he knew how to help me know the Lord. That's why I love Paul, because it's not about Paul. It never was. It's not about all these issues. It never is. It's always about Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, said Paul. Teach me that, Paul. Disciple me, Paul. Help me, Paul. God used the scriptures through this man to help me become like you. That's what God does. That's why the Thessalonians flocked to him. Well, as you continue to read through the New Testament, and read, 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 because every book you go through, you'll find glimpses of Paul. If you want to help people change, really change, introduce them to Christ because it's the spirit of Christ incarnate in you that makes you love people which helps them to believe 
Well, let me stop here. Whew. This is exciting because as I go into prisons, as I go outside of prison, it's the same message. Christ can give you new life if you only know him. But if you don't know him, you'll miss Christ, you'll miss Paul, you'll miss everything. So stay focused and give your ear to what God is saying through Paul. Let's pray. Father, we want to be resting, resting only in you. We want to say to you, Lord, that surely your goodness and your mercy will follow us. Thank you that we know that we don't have it together. We don't have to have it together. But we can respond to you in such a way that let the Holy Spirit lead us like you led Paul. Father, we would pray that you would increase our heart for you, increase our heart for one another, increase our heart for those who don't know you. And we just take and ask you to store these things deep inside our heart and we would hold on, that it would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Father, bless your word, bless your people with the same grace that Paul had. We pray for your glory and our growth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.